If you could ask God one question, what would you ask? You thought about that before? Maybe some of you would ask questions like, how, how did the dinosaurs become extinct? <laughs> how did that happen? Um, maybe some of you would ask, is, is there any life out there on any other planets in this amazing world you've created? Maybe some of you would ask some, some deep doctrinal theological questions like, God, help me understand the Trinity. Explain that to me, this three persons and one God concept. I want to hear it from you. Perhaps these aren't the deep questions that are on your mind, though. If you could ask God one question, maybe your questions aren't how or who or what. But maybe the questions that keep you up at night that you would like to ask God are more of a why question. Why, God? Why did you take my spouse away when we should have had so much more time together? My child. Why, God, do you let me live day in, day out with this kind of pain? Why? Why, God, did you let my family hurt so much during that time? Why? Why do you allow this kind of suffering, especially when I've served you my whole life? Why, God? We want God to maybe pull back the curtain and show us what was going on in, in your eternal mind and in your wisdom that you let that happen to me. Job asked those kind of questions in the book of Job too. Why, God? Why did you take my family? Why did you take my possessions? Why did you take my health? I didn't do anything to deserve this. And after chapters and chapters of wrestling with this in the book of Job, wrestling and questioning and asking God to come down and explain himself, in chapter 38, God shows up right here. God appears out of the storm, and you know what he does? God asks the questions. And God provides some perspective. Questions all through the book of Job. It was just a joy this week getting to dig in and, and study and read through a lot of the chapters in Job, listen to some podcasts about Job, um, some videos, read different commentaries on Job, and just dig into this. And it's just full of questions. The questions start up with, with God himself. The beginning of Job starts out with two chapters of, of narrative telling what's going on. And God is in his throne room, and he's saying, look at my servant Job. Have you ever seen anybody like this guy? And then the adversary comes up, Satan comes up, and he says, well, I've got a question for you, God. I know why he serves you. Look at how you've blessed him. You've done all these good things in his life. Here's a question. Will people serve you if you're not blessing them? He's only doing it because of what you give him. Will a man serve God for nothing? And God says, yeah, you will. Have your way with him. And, and he lets suffering come in to Job's life. And, and then it happens. And over the course of what seems like minutes, um, just suffering comes upon Job and his family and his possessions and his people. His servants are carried off by a couple different raiding 
uh, groups of foreigners who come in and they take away his livestock. There's a storm that comes in and destroys a lot of his possessions and his livestock. And then on the heels of all that, he hears that a huge windstorm came and all of his children were together in one house and the storm just broke the house down and all of his children are now dead. And then the questioning starts from his wife next. His wife comes up and says, haven't you had enough yet? And really that happens after then Job himself is afflicted. He has sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, it says, and he's just sitting in the dust. And his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job refuses and says, words you probably recognize, the the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. The name of the Lord be praised. And then later, Shall we accept only good things from God and not trouble? And in all of this, the Bible says Job did not sin. But then some questioning starts. Uh, Job's three friends come and visit him, and Job starts questioning, why was I even born? He curses the day that he was born. He's wondering why God let him live a life like this. And then Job's friends argue that The reason he's getting all this suffering is because God is just and God is fair. And if God is just and fair, then he probably follows a principle like this called, maybe you would call it just retribution. If God is just and fair, then of course, if people do good things, God is going to bless them. And if people do bad things and sin against him, then God is going to curse them or send them suffering and pain. So if that's the kind of God that we worship, well, then, Job, it's pretty obvious. If you're suffering like this, you must have some, done something pretty big to sin against and offend God Almighty. So the next about 34 chapters of the book are the friends going back and each going through and saying all the reasons why they, they think Job must have done something wrong and why he's getting this just retribution, why he's getting paid back Evil for evil. There must be something going on with you, Job. And Job starts questioning back because Job knows that he didn't do anything that would deserve this kind of punishment. The Bible itself says it. It says that he he didn't sin while he was doing all these things. Job is just and innocent. So, So now Job is crying out to God and he's thinking, God, you must have missed something. Come over here. Have a conversation with me. Let me point out what's really going on in my life. Because I'm sure that I could argue it in a courtroom and I would prove myself innocent. Why are you doing this, God? Because he too believes that God is a fair and a just God, which in his mind means if you do good things, then you get blessed. And if you do bad things, then then punishment comes. So he thinks there must be something wrong with God or God's understanding of this world because he's getting something that is completely un- just. And now God or Job is ready to, he wants to just sit down with God and talk this over. He writes down toward the end of his defense, he says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. He is positive that he didn't do anything wrong and that God is in the wrong, that he's ruling his world inadequately. 
So then nearly the end of the book, chapter 38, God steps in. And God speaks, the Lord speaks out of the storm. There's these powerful storm clouds building up all around. And God, the creator, the almighty, comes and starts to ask Job some questions. But before we get to that, I'll ask you, when have you felt a little bit like Job? And I know a lot of times we think of Job and we think, oh, when I'm feeling down, I just think of Job. Look how terrible things are were for him. It's not so bad for me. I had a person tell me that when I was working at a lumberyard once. But when you're in suffering, even if it doesn't compare to Job suffering, it hurts. I know that many of you have had close family members pass away. You've suffered from sickness and health concerns. Some have lost their jobs and then just had to figure out how to start over. And for many of you, I, I don't know you well enough to know the deep hurt and anguish and sadness and suffering that has hurt you in the past or continues to hurt you now. But you know that. You know how you felt like Job, and perhaps you've had some of these same questions. Why? Why, God? Why me? Why the person that I love? Why now? Why this? And maybe we even ask that same question. What did I do to deserve this? Now, the Bible consistently says that Job didn't sin when he questioned God, when he was dealing with this suffering, but I don't always handle sin or handle suffering that well. Maybe you've been in the same boat where you've start to, started to accuse God and started to think that you know better than God and even begun to despise God because of the suffering that he's allowing. You probably know people who have just completely walked away from God and church because they've said, maybe it was something just like, when, when, my, when my grandma died, I, it, it just hurt so much, and that's God's fault, and I'm not going to step foot back in a church again. I've heard that from people. The suffering comes, and they walk away because they blame God, thinking... I can't trust a God who would allow something like that to happen. Have you ever thought God wasn't being fair with how he ruled this world? Maybe it starts to uh, highlight that sometimes we have a view of God like Job and his friends did too, where we expect that God is going to be just and fair and he's going to follow this policy of just retribution where he gives good things to people who are good and bad things to people who are bad. But what if God did follow that in his judgment of the world perfectly? Every time someone did something good, they were rewarded. And every time they did something evil and sinful and bad, they were punished. Well, humanity wouldn't last very long on this earth if God were actually just and fair all the time in the way that Job seems to want him to be. Earth, all the people on earth would be shaken off the earth like, like a rug gets shaken out, or one thing that God will end up saying later. Because none of us deserve to be rewarded 
by God for our good behavior. Satan brings up the idea that humans will only serve and trust God if they're blessed by him. Does that ever ring true for you? Do you find yourself when things are going well for you, you are, you're serious about God and, and you love his word and he's blessing you, but then when the struggle comes, you start to disconnect. Although I wonder if it's more of a danger in the opposite direction. It seems like when we're just being having blessings showered on us, we start to think, I'm doing pretty good for myself. I can take care of myself. And then we start to wander further from God. And then we just get to see a glimpse of one reason God allows suffering into our life. So often it does pull us back to him, doesn't it? But what does the Lord say when he finally comes and he steps in and he talks to Job? The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Let's look through this section and just stand underneath the text and let it, let it speak to you as if you are Job. The Lord comes in. And he says, I will question you and you shall answer me. Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Uh, I wasn't here, God. I wasn't born yet. No? Okay. Um, do, do you know who stretched off the dimensions? Who decided how, how big earth would be? Stretched a measuring line across it. Who, who did that? You did, God. I wasn't here. Uh, on, on what its footings were set. Were you there while the morning stars sang together? The angels shouted for joy. God creates the angels very early in the creation week, and as he's separating sea and land and creating this, this picture, we see God and his angels shouting for joy and singing together, and what an amazing thing that was. And where were you when that happened? I wasn't there, God. I, I, I don't know that. How about this? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth? Is this picture of the sea being born into the earth and then just wrapping up the sea like a little baby in swaddling clothes? Were you there when I did that and I put the sea in the clouds? No. No, God, I don't, I don't have that kind of perspective. I don't have that kind of power. I, I wasn't there. And God goes on for two more chapters asking more, more than 40 questions of Job, starting with huge cosmological things, the universe and creation, and then going down to the minute details uh, of, of wild donkeys running with joy through the salt flats. And, and what do you know about all this, Job? And he has to admit, I don't. And what God is doing here is saying, Job, my friend, you think you know so much about how I should rule creation. You think I know, you, you know how I should micromanage every little thing in this world, but this creation is so amazing and wild and intricate and wonderful. Do you think you could handle the complexities of this world? Do you think you have the perspective to know how everything should go together? Because I do. <coughs> Do you not trust that even with all of this, I can have your eternal good in mind, Job? God comes to him, and God asks the questions. And in this, definitely, Job is, is humbled. And he says a couple times, I put my hands over my mouth, I, I, I can't speak. These things are, are too wonderful. And then he comes in repentance and says, I, I've said too much. I repent. 
I turn and turn to you. But in all of this, Job learns that God hasn't abandoned him. Because I think what Job wanted most, what God knew he needed, was not the answer to all of the why, but it was God, do you still care about me? Are you still with me? Are you my enemy now, or are you on my side? And God comes to him as a friend. He hasn't abandoned him. And it leads him to recognize, Lord, you have a wider perspective than I do. And I trust that you're good. So how about us? What do we learn just from this glimpse of Job about God and suffering? God gives us perspective, too. It's really interesting. There are just things he never shares with Job. He doesn't give him the reason for any of his suffering. He completely avoids that. At the very end of, of God's speech, he does confirm, yes, Job, you were innocent from the beginning, and everything your friend said was, was wrong. But for the most part, he doesn't address any of Job's questions. But Job learns that God is with him and not against him. He learns that God is God, and he isn't. And God invites him to trust him. He does. Here's some wider perspective. For us New Testament Christians, there was a storm, and God spoke from the storm. We saw in our gospel lesson today, Jesus is on the boat calmly sleeping while, while the waters are raging all over where the disciples are literally saying, don't you care that we are dying right now? And the Lord gets up, and the Lord speaks quiet. Be still, speaking not to the disciples, but to the wind and the wave. And the very one who is the word of God at creation, the one who gave birth to the, the sea and the land, who controls the wind and the waves, says, be still. It's as if God himself was saying in Job, this is where your proud waves stop. The Lord is there in the storm. He draws near to us in Job. He drew near to the disciples and didn't leave them on their own. He drew near to us, not as a crashing storm, but instead with the small cries of a little baby coming into our world to be with us. So let's be clear about this with the book of Job. Job and his friends had it wrong when they assumed that in order for God to be just and fair, he would have to always reward good behavior and always punish bad behavior every single time. Because God doesn't rule his world by a strict, just retribution principle. He does rule his world with justice, but he also rules it with grace and mercy. So when we cry out like the disciples did, don't you care, God? We may also be wondering, when I'm suffering, God, are you punishing me for something that I did wrong? Because we might start thinking about that retribution principle. And here's the widest perspective. The cross proves that God does care. The cross absolutely proves that 
In a way, Jesus, God, is completely just and fair. He will punish sin and he will reward good, but it is all through Christ. He rewards the perfect, completely holy behavior of Christ by acknowledging that you are a human who has lived life perfectly, the God-man, and then he credits that perfect human life to you and me. And God will punish every single sin, but he punished it on Christ. And there is where God's justice and his mercy meet, where they kiss at the very foot of the cross, where God can be perfectly just and incredibly merciful through Christ and his death for us. This story of the Bible gives us the wider perspective that even though all we might be able to see is suffering and waves of pain, there's something better, there's something more true that God rules over all these things and nothing has escaped his notice and you can trust him. And that finally, after all is over, heaven is actually our home. That is how this story ends. So why am I suffering? The book of Job doesn't answer that question. And it's quite possible that God won't answer that question for you either, even though we might still keep wanting to ask it. But we know this, God is not failing you. He's not punishing you. Jesus was punished for your sins. He's not disowning you. Suffering happens to God's people. Jesus suffered and we follow in his footsteps. But we're never suffer suffering as a punishment from God. Suffering even happens to people who are dearly loved by God. And we can understand that in our lives too, can't we? Suffering allowed by someone who loves you so much. You can probably think of a handful of examples, but I, I remember part of this. I was three or four years old, and I loved jumping up and down on this tan sectional couch in our house, just jumping on it. I'd do somersaults on it, and, and sometimes just like leap off of the couch and just fly through the air. So one time I did that, and I just took a face plant right into this big, heavy magazine rack, this solid wood magazine rack that we had, and my tooth went straight through my lip. And then I was at the hospital, <laughs> at the clinic, and my mom was with me, and the doctor said, Marcus needs one stitch. It's going to hurt more for me to give him the Novocaine shot than to just put this one stitch in. So I just need you to hold him, and I'm just going to put this one stitch in. And I don't remember being mad at my mom for this or anything, but I remember just being held down and screaming. So much terror, so much pain as they put in this one stitch. And later my mom would tell me that she would just cry thinking of that. Having to hold little three-year-old Marcus down, knowing that the doctor's got to do this and it's going to be okay in the end, but I can't help him right now and it's just going to hurt for a while. Imagine God, too, looking over his children, knowing that there's this suffering, suffering with us in the person of Jesus Christ, but knowing that for his reasons that he knows, this is going to be for good. 
And he invites us to trust him. He's with us. He loves us. Your suffering is not meaningless, and he'll use it for your eternal good. So Satan asks the question in the beginning of Job. He says, will man serve God for nothing? Even if he's not going to get rewarded? I don't think so. And God says, yes, my servant Job, he will, he does. So will man serve God for nothing? The surprisingly biblical and extremely Lutheran answer is a resounding yes. Because God has given us everything we need. Satan will never be able to understand that. My sinful nature will never be able to understand that. I want God to reward me for what I'm doing. But this new man created inside of me, this new self that's inside of you, created by God through faith, wants nothing more than to serve God. And it doesn't matter if he never gives us a thing for that. Will man serve God for nothing? Yes! joyfully, out of love for him and for what Jesus has done for you. Yes, I will serve you even through suffering. Yes, even though I'm not promised anything in return. Will a congregation serve God even if we don't feel like he's blessing us numerically or financially enough? Yes, joyfully, because of what Jesus has done for us. Even if I'm not getting what I want, yes, because of Christ and how he loves us, we will serve God for nothing by Jesus' grace because he's given us everything already. So maybe think back to that first question, that one question you could ask God and what it was. Was it, was it a why question? Why did you allow this to happen, God? This side of heaven, he's probably not going to give you an answer for that question. He may bless you by someday being able to look back and be able to say, wow, that was for my good. Even though it was hard, that was for my good. You may not until heaven be able to just recognize, I'm in heaven even through that, and God used that somehow. But God does speak to us here and now. He speaks to us in his word. And through the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture, we hear him speak to the storms all around us, to the suffering all around us, and to our hearts as he says, be still, be calm, it's okay, I'm here. And after seeing his power, the disciples ask, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's a good question. It's Jesus. It's God. He's here and he cares, and that's the only answer that we need. Amen. <clears throat>